you all so much for joining us for episode 12, season 4 of our Revise and Resubmit podcast. I'm Dr. Kim Bissell, the Southern Progress Endowed Professor in Magazine Journalism and the Associate Dean for Research in the College of Communication and Information Sciences at the University of Alabama. And I'm Dr. Annalisa Bullen, an Assistant Professor in the Department of Communication Studies, also at the University of Alabama, and we both work in the Institute for Communication and Information Research, or the ICIR, at UA. Okay, so today's question of the day, or question of the episode, Kim, on a scale of 0 to 10, with 0 being you could not care less, and 10 being all of the cares, how much do you care about politics? Oh, such a good question, and it does depend on the time of the year and where we are (laughs) in the political season. I would say I do actually care a lot about politics, what I don't care for are political ads. I'm mm. about over them, but I know that the primaries are coming up. Um, so maybe those two average out to like a four or a five because it's definitely a zero on ads, but like an eight-ish because I care. What about you? Uh, okay, so I have a degree in political science, so 10. No, that's <laughs> not, no. Um, maybe like eight. I mean, 10 might suggest that you're, like, running for office, right? And I'm not doing that. <laughs> no. But I did an internship in D.C. during undergrad um, where I didn't do, like, political work, but I did support work. I gave tours of the Capitol building. Fun. Um, it was so fun. And I was like, should I should I be a tour guide? Um, and pro tip, so listeners, if you want to tour up the Capitol, um, go through your representative to make that request, not the paid tours. Um, but like p- being a politician, no interest. But obviously I did major in political science, so I had some interest. And talking to politicians, no, um, I, I don't think so. But like studying politics, now that's interesting. And that leads us to today's guest. That's right. Today's guest is Dr. Melissa Smith, a professor of communication and the Gibbons Chair of Journalism at Mississippi University for Women. And before I forget, check out the show notes for information on Melissa's newest project, Third Parties, Outsiders, and Renegades, Modern Challenges to the Two-Party System in Presidential Elections that has been recently published. She tells us all about how this was a COVID project. So a huge congratulations to our guest on this publication. This conversation is going to be really fun because we talk about politics without getting political. Imagine that. (laughs) And we talk about the work that goes into book writing as well, which is no small feat. And with that, we'd like to extend a very warm welcome to Dr. Melissa Smith. Welcome to Revise and Resubmit. Thank you so much for joining us today, Melissa. We are thrilled to be able to catch up with you. Thank you for having me. It's great to see you. Uh, well, to talk to you. I can't see you, but it's nice to talk to you. <laughs> Absolutely. So before we dive into the real questions, I have to ask you about one thing that I might be of interest to our listeners. And I do know this because I do a little bit of social media stalking of you. But I've been I've been doing this <laughs> since the you know all the time that you've been away from Alabama. You are a half marathon runner, and I recall seeing a lot of posts about marathons and half marathons that you've run, Uh, so I was wondering, how many have you run, and do you have a favorite or a least favorite? Um, Yeah, I do half marathons. I try to do at least one a year, 
Well, except for 21, but you know, pandemic stuff. Um, I actually started running them in 2013 and it was to raise money for schools in Tuscaloosa that had been damaged by the tornado. And it, it, it raised money for books to go in libraries. So I started in 2013 and I have taken two years off since then, once in 21 and once in 17 when I was recovering from a torn Achilles tendon. Mm. Yeah. And so do you have a, a favorite one that you've run or do you do the same one every year? Um, I primarily have done the Tuscaloosa and the one in Startville, which is called the Frostbite for a really good reason because it's in January. It's my least favorite. Um, so Tuscaloosa would win as my favorite. I just haven't had the opportunity to run it lately. Nice. Nice. Okay, so let's shift gears a little bit. We're going to learn a little bit more about you. So I'll ask a couple quick rapid fire questions. Um, first of all, where are you from? I'm actually from Jasper, Alabama, which is about an hour from Tuscaloosa. Nice. And when were you at the university? Um, I came in 1998 to work on my master's, and I graduated in 2003 with my PhD. Cool. And where are you now? Um, I am a professor and the Gibbons Chair of Journalism at uh, Mississippi University for Women in the Department of Communication. Excellent. So what did the young Melissa think she would be doing when she grew up? Um, well, when I grew up, I was interested in words, but I was also interested in art. Mm. So I actually considered art, but I decided I liked words better. <laughs> and I started working at the local newspaper when I was in high school. And journalism just kind of clicked with me. And so my undergrad degree was in journalism. I got out, I worked in newspapers, segued into television. Wow. And um, yeah, that was kind of a rough shift right there. But, um, <laughs> but <laughs> while, yeah, it was a quick shift too. I had like two weeks. So, um, but while I was there, I was there in the summer when I started at 3340. And um, they kind of pawned the internships off and on me. And so I was working with the summer interns. And I realized I really enjoyed working with younger people, college aged kids. Mm -hmm. So I started getting a little tired of TV and kind of media in general. I guess, you know, you can get kind of burned out on it. <laughs> so I thought, you know, this makes sense. I like working with young people. I'm going to go back to school and get at least a master's. Mm -hmm. I'd always considered graduate school. But I didn't know what I wanted to study. So I came back and did what was then the telecommunication and film master's and also got the Ph.D. in mass com. That's yeah, that's excellent. Did, did you so I'll go ahead and jump in with a quick follow up here? Did you think like, huh, now I have an opportunity to to study anything um, and maybe I'll do history or maybe I'll do art for graduate school or did it did it seem kind of a natural um fit to the tcf master's degree they really just seemed like a natural fit for me um because it's what i was doing and came right out of it um also i liked merging words and video mm -hmm. and telling stories because storytelling is something that's really important to me mm -hmm. and so that just made a lot of sense to me 
Well, and let me ask the same question about the transition from the master's to the PhD. Um, you are an alum of our PhD program here. Was that shift from the master's to the PhD? Did you, when you were in your master's program, did you just think, oh, okay, this seems a logical next step? Were you sort of nudged or encouraged by somebody? Because um, I know for some, it's like master's and done. And then others are like, oh, maybe. So what, what was that path like for you? I think it was just a natural thing for me to keep going because I realized how much, well, first of all, I really like school. I'm just one of those real nerds who likes school. So it was like, this is fun. I'd like to keep doing this. Um, and so it just made sense to go into the PhD program. But also while I was there, I met my to-be husband. He was also in the master's program in TCF. Mm -hmm. And so he was also going to go on and do his PhD. So it just made sense for both of us to just go ahead and do the PhDs because by that point I realized I would really like to teach at college level. Cool. So you are not the first person that we've spoken to who met um, a spouse in the in the graduate program here. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. That that that's not a um, an advertisement. <laughs> <laughs> But it does speak to how like-minded people uh, meet each other, I think, um, or folks that are interested in the same areas. Um, so, Melissa, let's shift a little bit again. Um, <laughs> elevate pitch on your research and scholarship? Okay. Um, yeah, I do political communication research. And um, in general, what I really enjoy researching is political campaigns. Um, once they get elected, I don't really care too much how the sausage is made, but <laughs> I really, really like the, um, I don't know, the energy and the, the discourse and the tactics and things that are used in political campaigns. And so I have researched various aspects of it, um, primarily would be campaign finance and um, recently, my most recent research is looking at outsider candidates and fringe candidates mm -hmm. and how they actually influence later candidates who come after them. Okay, so you're this should be pretty easy. If you had to come up with a headline for one of your more interesting findings, what would that headline be? Um... Yeah. Okay. Word person and headlines. Those are a little different. Um, <laughs> but I would say um, outsider candidates have great influence on those who come after them. But I think that's a surprise for a lot of people. I think most people look at fringe candidates and they say, yeah, we know they're going to lose, right? Um, and they might lose, but a lot of times they pull issues or discourse and things into their campaigns that are picked up later by other candidates who are more successful. And, and I think, I mean, what, what, I, what I'm guessing um, is that, this, that, that there's never a shortage of things to study. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I'm fond of saying that Trump is like the gift that just keeps on giving if you're in political <laughs> calm. And so let me ask that you. That could also be your headline. <laughs> yeah, I guess it could be. <laughs> so, 
how do you keep up? Um, so like once you have a study, is it almost like out of date because there's something new or someone new? So I guess, you know, how do you how do you manage the ever changing um, environment of politics? I think that's actually true of all communication. I mean, in some ways, I've actually given up on textbooks because, you know, by the time you get a textbook and you have it for a year, it's probably going to be out of date. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you know, it can be a challenge. And so what I generally do is I focus on I have a little bit of a historical emphasis in mind. So I might look at a political campaign from, you know, 2016 or 2020 or something and then kind of move forward. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how I look at it because I'm interested in a lot of different things, including adoption of new technologies, communication technologies. So if you look in the past, you can see how they move forward. So let me follow up on this just a little bit. You mentioned that you finished your PhD in 2003. So you've been doing this for almost 20 years. What are some of the more notable changes that you've observed or that you've kind of identified in the research that you've done, um, not only involving kind of the evolution of media, but can you elaborate a little bit more on that since you've got this, and I'm not trying to like make you feel old at all, but you've got, <laughs> you've got years of work to, to, to build on. Yeah. Well, it, 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 it is kind of sad that it's been almost 20 years, but, um, I would say that, first of all, being able for political candidates to do fundraising online was a really big jump. Mm. And, you know, to be able to raise millions of dollars in just these big financial dumps was pretty incredible. Um, Also, the ability to have things like super PACs putting money in. That's big. I, I, the money, if you don't have money, you don't have a campaign. So obviously that's important. Mm-hmm. But I think in recent years, just the amazing use of social media is something that has totally changed the political campaign system. Mm. So you've been studying this um, for many years. Is this something that you also teach in, in your classes? Do you teach political communication or can you tell us a little bit more about the application of your work? Um, I don't have regular opportunities to actually teach political communication courses. Every time we have a presidential election, I generally get the opportunity to teach a class that fall to honor students mm-hmm. who are awesome. Um, And it will generally center around advertising and political campaigns. And so we can take examples from the current um, political campaign that's going on, presidential campaign. So generally, that's about the only opportunity I have to actually incorporate my work into my courses. But it sounds like this honors class that you get to teach would be really exciting. Yeah, it's great fun. You know, they're honors kids. And so they're they're good, smart, dedicated students, and I love that. Do you find that students um, or colleagues or, or anyone else um, in, in this era of 
uh, should we, well, maybe it's not this era, but in, in the, the good Southern, we don't talk about politics or religion. Um, do you find <laughs> people that die away or are people like excited to talk about politics and political communication? Um, tell us a little bit about that. I, th- I think there's a little bit of a hesitancy now because people are afraid, well, they won't agree with me. Mm-hmm. But, um, and, you know, I talk about that at the beginning of my course and say we're going to be civil in this class. You know, I'm not going to put up with anything else. Mm-hmm. And most of the time I find that students are pretty gracious about that. You know, they'll be like, well, you know, I see you, you believe that way, but I think blah, blah, blah. Um, I, I do think that in general, because we are so evenly divided in the country between Republicans and Democrats, that you're probably more likely to find people talk about religion than you are about politics. Mm. So let me ask one more, uh, follow up here. (laughs) Can you keep the politics out of political communication? I generally don't advocate for particular stands or particular issues. Um, You know, for instance, I I just had a book published and there's a chapter at the end and it's like, you know, so what's the future of outsider candidates? And I didn't actually say, well, I think this is what I would like to happen. I just basically drew inferences from the content in the book and said, this looks like the way that an outsider candidate could actually be elected. Mm -hmm. So I try to not necessarily incorporate my own ideas. So you have to tell us a little bit more about this book. Um, And for our listeners, can you explain a little bit about the process, like how long it took (laughs) to develop it and to get all the different chapters in the works? Because I think, you know, for people who are outside of academia, even people inside of academia, there is, you know, maybe misunderstanding or no understanding of how long that process could be. So what what sparked the idea and what was the process? Okay. Um, the title of the book, and, it, it, you know, it doesn't seem so long until you actually have to say it, but um, <laughs> it's Third Parties, Outsiders, and Renegades, Modern Challenges to the Two-Party System and Presidential Elections. And I got the idea for it in 2019 because I wanted to move away from campaign finance, which is not the sexiest topic in the world. But so I decided I've always been interested in third party candidates and outsiders. So I put together a proposal and my first two books were published by Lexington, which is an imprint of Roman and Littlefield. And so I sent them um, just a, you know, just the, presentation and I went through the whole process for what I was going to do and all the things that they needed to have in the submission and they accepted it. So they accepted it. Teen. And of course we all know what happened in 2020. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so 2020 was kind of a difficult year academically because, you know, there was a lot of swapping to online and students who had issues. And I teach at a, a small, liberal arts college. And so we are heavy on instruction. We, this is a teaching college. Mm -hmm. And so we had to devote a lot of time to helping our students. It's like, I know all my students' names. I know some of their parents, you know, 
Um, so I was working on the manuscript. It was supposed to be due in fall of 20. So I gave them a manuscript. And, you know, I think your the title of your show is Revise and Resubmit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I had a good editor and she basically came back and said, well, we think this is a really good first effort, but I'm going to give you some more time um, because she understood time pressure that was on me because I normally will teach between four and six classes every semester. Wow. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So, you know, the time that I have to actually write is not as much as someone who's at a tier one, like, you know, research university. So, um, I, she gave me some more time and the manuscript was finished in the summer of 21. And so I sent it to them. But then after you finish the manuscript, I mean, there are other things they have to typeset it. Then you've got to go through and, you know, look for errors. And you have to do an index, which I'm just going to say is not fun. Um, <laughs> and so all that was done in the fall of 21, but it didn't actually get published and printed until February of 22. Wow. Wow. So it's a pretty long process and realizing that the pandemic really stretched things out. But yeah, it takes a little while with the book. So let me ask a question there is how, how do you, how, how do you keep going? Um, and do, do you have any collaborators on this book or is it just you? And if it's just you, like how, how do you find that motivation mm -hmm. to work on it and continue to work on it? Yeah. With the first two books, I had collaborators, I had co-authors, but with this one, it was just me. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's like, I'm, I, because I worked in the media for so long, I guess I'm really good at hitting deadlines. Mm. Um, but I'm a very disciplined person. And so I would just set a time and say, okay, I'm going to write for an hour. I'm going to write for two hours. Um, and, you know, I would just go off and do it. it. You know, at times it was a little frustrating. I am fortunate in that my husband also is interested in political communication. And so I could bounce things off of him. Mm -hmm. oh. mm -hmm. So I'm going to shift gears on you just a little bit, Melissa. I know when you were here at Alabama, you had an opportunity to overlap or be here when Dr. Jennings Bryant um, was in the college. And I wondered if um, you had an interaction or a class or a funny story that you might be willing to share with us. Actually, I never had any classes with Jennings, and I really wow. regret that now. Wow. So, but because I was political com, I spent more time with Gary Copeland. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, Gary and I chatted all the time about stuff. I was around Jennings, and he was always just like the sweetest, kindest person. And I would always look at him and go, you did research on pornography. This doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> you know? But, but he was just awesome. And he was actually the head of Barry's committee. Barry's my husband. He was the head of his committee. Mm -hmm. And um, our son's middle name is Bryant. Hmm. And, wow. and it's, a, it's both for Bear Bryant and also for Jennings Bryant. That's I nice. I love that. Yeah. So let's shift gears just another time here. Uh, <laughs> think about 
um, your professional career for just, just a moment. And what are you most proud of? I would say probably the most recent book that I did. Um, I'll be honest, when I got the box and I held the book in my hands, I cried because, <laughs> because it was such a labor of love. Um, <laughs> my husband calls it my pandemic project um, <laughs> because it was something that I did all, on my own. It's so much easier in a way when you have a co-author mm-hmm. because they can read a chapter and say, eh, maybe you're not doing a good job here or whatever. But this was, it was all me. And I felt like this huge burden and this big amount of pressure was just lifted off of me when I finally held it in my hands. Well, I think that that's, I mean, yes. And like, congratulations, (laughs) because I think that sometimes we are hesitant to feel like proud. Yeah. Um, Yes. Good, good for, good for you for the book and for, Absolutely. And that kind of leads to my next question, which is really a follow up to something you had said earlier um, about this being your pandemic project. It sounds like um, despite the fact that you were really having to focus on your students with all these courses that you take and making sure that their needs were met during all these times when we were supposed to be virtual and not in person, which I can't even imagine trying to manage with four to six classes. But in addition to that, you wrote a book and it's already in print, which is pretty outstanding. What did you, did you find that because maybe we weren't in the the constraints of being in the office from this time to this time, did you find that working from home made you more productive? Were you less productive? Because maybe you, like me, my dog was like, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, I need attention. Um, Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Because it seems like you killed it during the (laughs) pandemic, which is awesome. Um, Actually, we have an old house. We live in Columbus, Mississippi, which is known for like old houses. Ours isn't nearly as old as anybody else's, but it was built probably between 1890 and 95. And it's a three-story house. And the top floor, the third floor, is what was taken in as the attic. And it's now like a small apartment. And that became my office. Mm-hmm. And so I left the dog and everybody else downstairs. And I went up to the third <laughs> floor. And that was just kind of like a little retreat area. Because I knew that if, if I had to try to do it around everybody else, it would never get done. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I had to kind of go off by myself to do it. So the is find the spot where the dog and cat can't find you. Children yeah. Your husband can't find you. <laughs> well, yeah, they knew where I was, but they, nobody wants to go up 39 steps unless they really need something. <laughs> That's a great point. That's a great point. One other question for you, and I want to go way back to um, your research and, and maybe what's in your book, um, but maybe just over over your career. Can you tell us like who the, who the best outsider candidate is, or or maybe not best, but maybe most interesting, and why? Well, the most successful outsider candidate was Donald Trump because he actually got <laughs> elected. Um, 
But I, I actually profile 10 different outsider candidates in the book. And probably my favorite is actually the first one, and it's Shirley Chisholm. Oh. And, and, you know, because she was a first in so many areas. But also, you know, she brought a lot of issues to the forefront that are still actually being debated in society and in politics. So I just walked away from my research on her going, yeah, she was cool. She rocked. <laughs> That's fantastic. So um, we have been discussing or at least alluding to this time the last two years where the conference world for academics has really shifted and we've been doing virtual conference presentations, started to get back a little bit in person. Is there a conference or a location that you're looking forward to attending now that I don't want to call it normal, um, but things are kind of getting back to a sense of normalcy? Well, actually, um, I'm going to be going to Southern States um, Communication Conference next week. Um, Oh, exciting. Yeah, it's going to be in Greenville, South Carolina, uh, which is a, a nice, lovely area. But it'll be the first time in three years that I have seen some of my friends, and I'm very excited about it. Yeah, that'll be great. And Greenville is a lovely place, too. Mm-hmm. Melissa, it has been so wonderful to catch up with you today. Um, I know you have a very busy schedule, and we're very grateful that you took time out of your schedule to catch up with us and chat with us. Thank you so much. Well, I appreciate your having me. This has been really fun. Thank you. You're welcome.